we see it at church. If you have a Bible, either a printed copy like I'm holding in my hand, or you have a digital copy on your phone or your iPad, let me encourage you to hold it up and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now, and open up your copy of God's Word with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. When I was a little kid, we lived close to a man, Mr. Alexander, who he lived in our neighborhood. He was a member of our church who grew grapes. Now, that's not what he did for a living, but, but beside his house, he had a grape orchard or grape vines. And these weren't wild grapes. These were grapes that he harvested, he planted, and he cultivated, and he grew them. And because we knew Mr. Alexander, he allowed me as a little kid to go to his grape vines and pick the luscious grapes off of those grape vines and eat those grapes. I was blessed by his generosity to eat the grapes that, that grew on those vines and on those branches. Well, today we're wrapping up the first part of our series on the book of John, and we've called it Pictures That Reveal Jesus' Nature. And we've been looking at these pictures, these word pictures in the Gospel of John that give us a picture of who Jesus is. And so far, we've looked at eight of these. There are ten in the gospel. We've looked at eight. Today, we're going to look at the ninth one, and, and then we're going to look at the tenth one when we look at the story of, of Lazarus. But what you need to understand is these word pictures that we are reading about in the gospel of John, when John wrote this, the Jews that were reading his gospel, they understood what he was reading from a different perspective than perhaps some of us. And when the Jews who heard Jesus speaking and heard Jesus claim names, heard him claim these names, they thought of something as well. Because when Jesus spoke and said, I am the vine, or he said, I am the bread, or I am the light, Jesus was taking Old Testament pictures, and he was giving those Old Testament pictures new meaning. Now let's rehash and, and review what we've learned just far. The, the first picture that we learned was Jesus is the Word of God. The Word who became flesh and made His dwelling among us. When Jesus came to earth, He was communicating to us who God is and what God is like. When we saw Jesus, we saw God. 
The next picture that was given is Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You see, sin is so serious that a sacrifice has to be made to, to deal with that sin. And every day, twice a day, a lamb would be sacrificed in the temple and, and the blood from that lamb would cover the sins of the people for a period, a short period of time. But the Bible says that when Jesus came, he was the Lamb of God who took away our sin once for all time. The, the third picture is Jesus' bread. Jesus is the bread of life. And whoever comes to him will never be hungry again. There is nothing in this world, there's nothing found in this world that will satisfy the hunger of your life, that will fill the emptiness of your soul. The only one that can do that is Jesus. And when you come to Jesus and discover who he is and you have a relationship with him, I'm here to tell you that he gives you what you have been looking for your entire life. The fourth picture is, is light. Jesus is the light of the world. And if you follow him, you don't have to walk in darkness anymore. You see, Jesus is the only one that can bring light into our life and light into our world that has been darkened by sin. And then Jesus made the most outrageous claim ever. Jesus said he was the great I am. The one who appeared to Moses at the burning bush, the ever-present God. When Jesus said this, he was taking on the personal name of God, a name that was so holy that the Jews would not even pronounce that name. Now, two weeks ago, Pastor Matt told us that Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And everything that we read about in Psalm 23 about the shepherd, the Lord is our shepherd. Everything we read in Psalm 23 is found in Jesus. Jesus is that good, that great, that perfect shepherd. But we also discovered in chapter 10 that Jesus is the door. Jesus is the gate. He is the only way into the sheep pen. If you want to be a part of God's family, Jesus is the only way that you can enter. Last week, Pastor Steve told us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through him. Jesus is not a way. He's not a truth. He's not a life. He is the way, the truth, the life. He is the exclusive way into the Father's house. But this morning, as we wrap up this part of the Gospel of John, I want us to see that Jesus is the vine. Now, let me give you a little bit of background. When we get to the 13th chapter of John, Jesus is sitting with his disciples. He's celebrating the Passover meal. And he's about to prepare them for what is going to happen. His betrayal, Peter's denial, and his ultimate death. We read in John 13 how he washed the disciples' feet, showing them what it means to be a true leader. And, and then we get to John chapter 14 and we read some of the most comforting words ever found anywhere in literature. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would tell you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and I will receive you to myself so that where I am, you can be there as well. 
when you get to the end of chapter 14, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, Come, let us leave. Evidently, the next two chapters were spoken as Jesus is walking with his disciples from this room where they celebrated Passover and and now they're headed to the Garden of Gethsemane. But on the way, Jesus is still talking to them. Jesus is still teaching them. And it's likely as they walk, they pass some vineyards. And I can see Jesus walking up to the vineyard, to the vine, and perhaps plucking a grape from the vine and then he spoke these words the words that we read beginning in verse 1 listen to what he says he says I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more you have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you remain in me And I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them were to produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to the Father. I've loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you're my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. Now I want you to look back at verse 5 with me, if you will. These are Jesus' words. And I want you to repeat them after me. I am the vine. Say it. You are the branches. Those who remain in me. And I in them will produce much fruit. Let's do it again. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Now I want you to listen to me. You need to memorize that verse. You need to meditate on that verse. You need to let that verse guide and direct your life. It is an important verse. Now when Jesus said, I am the vine, it probably took the disciples by surprise because to be quite honest, the disciples thought that Israel was the vine, the true vine of God. As a matter of fact, on the main gate going into the temple, as you went into the temple, there was an engraved carving of a vine branches and grapes 
So that every time an Israelite would go into the temple of God, they would see that engraved carving and they would be reminded that they were the vine of God. In Isaiah chapter 5, God says Israel is his chosen vineyard. In Jeremiah chapter 2, God says he planted a choice vine. In Psalm chapter 80 verse 8, it says you brought us from Egypt like a great vine. God had called Israel to be his vine, to be his vineyard, to be his chosen people. And his desire was to use them to bless the world. God's desire was that through Israel, the nations of the earth would hear about the glory of God and worship the one true God. But the reality is Israel failed at their task. And when Jesus came and said, I am the vine, what Jesus was saying is, I have come to take the place of Israel. A relationship with God is no longer found or made possible through the nation of Israel. A relationship with God is now made possible through me, through Jesus. Jesus was declaring that their hope was no longer in their heritage. Their hope was no longer to be found in their family of origin. Their hope was now found in an intimate relationship, fellowship with Christ. And notice how Jesus began this chapter. He said, I am the true grapevine. And if you don't know about grapes, perhaps you think that the vine are, are those, those things that scatter along the trestles and the grapes grow on them. But that's not the vine. The vine is the trunk that grows out of the ground. It's usually pretty thick. And it grows about 36 to 42 inches high. And from the vine, the branches spread out. And then the grapes grow on the branches. But the branches receive their nourishment. The branches receive their life from the vine. Then Jesus said, my father is the gardener. He is the keeper of the vineyard. Now, his job was simple. It was to keep the branches healthy so that they could produce as much fruit as possible. And then Jesus said, you are the branches. The branches are only alive. The branches are, only can produce fruit as long as they are attached to the vine. Now, and as we look at what Jesus said in this chapter, there is one word that is repeated over and over that really is the theme of this chapter. And it's the Greek word minnow. It is used 12 times. It is translated abide in some translations. It's translated remain in some translations but it means to to persevere with to be connected with to be attached to and what Jesus is saying here is that our life our sustenance our power comes from being attached to him I want you to write this down this is important the key to the Christian life is abiding not striving let me say that again. The key to the Christian life is abiding. It's not striving. You see, our health and our fruitfulness as a Christian isn't dependent upon what we do. It's not dependent upon how hard we work. It's not dependent upon how many boxes we check. But our health and our fruitfulness as a follower of Jesus is dependent upon are we abiding with Christ? Are we connected with Christ? Are we attached to Christ? You see, it's not what we do. It's who we are with 
that brings power to our life. Now, now Jesus said as we go through our life abiding with Christ, three things will happen. And this is what you need to understand. If I am abiding with Christ, there will be three things that give evidence that I'm abiding with Christ. The first thing Jesus says is this. When we abide with Christ, we will bear much fruit. That truth is taught throughout this chapter. The purpose of abiding is to bear fruit. You see, Jesus doesn't save us so that we can sit on a mantle and look good. Jesus saves us so that we will bear fruit. When John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus, he said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, he said that if you truly repent, there will be fruit that gives evidence that you've truly repented. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, by their fruit, you will recognize them. You will know them. And later on in chapter 12, he said, a tree is recognized by its fruit. You see, we identify a tree by the fruit it produces. You see an apple hanging on a tree, and you know that's an apple tree. You see an orange hanging on a tree, and you know that's an orange tree. You see a watermelon hanging on a tree, and you know someone's playing a joke on you. Because watermelons don't grow on trees. You see, we know a tree by its fruit. Now, there's some people that can tell what kind of tree a tree is by its bark or by its leaves. I can't do that. But you show me its fruit, and I can tell you what kind of tree that is. You see, our fruit is the outward expression of our inward nature. Our fruit reveals what's on the inside of our life. Now, that word fruit, it occurs six times in these first eight verses. It says, he cuts off every branch that does not bear fruit. It says, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. It says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It says, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. It says, this is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. It's obvious. Abiding with Christ results in fruit. But the reality is there are different kinds of fruit. There's the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These are inward qualities the Spirit plants in us when we become attached to the vine. And these inward qualities produce outward results affecting the way we live and how we respond to people and circumstances. Now to understand, we're not given some of these and not all of these. No, it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit. When you're saved, the Spirit plants all nine of these qualities in your life. It's your job to cultivate them, to water them, to nourish them, to help them grow. But you've been given all of them. You can't say, well, they've been given peace and I've been given patience. They've been given joy and I've been given self-control. No, you've been given all of them. And and God wants all of them to flourish in your life. Because when the fruit of the Spirit is manifested in your life, it makes a difference not only in your life, but in the lives of the people around you. So there's the fruit of the Spirit. The Bible says there is the fruit of praise. In Hebrews 13, verse 15, it says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips 
that confess his name. The Bible teaches that God inhabits the praise of his people. We're told that we're to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Praise is a big deal to God. Some of us have this idea that when we come to worship on Sunday morning, if we're sitting out there, our job is to watch a show up here. But that's not how it's done. No, the worship team is simply leading us in worship. Worship and praise is something that each of us is to give to God as an offering to our, of our love to Him. And so there is the fruit of praise. And then I think the most neglected fruit is that in Proverbs 11.30. It says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. That's the fruit of soul winning, sharing the life-changing message of Christ with others. Now, the reason I think it's the most neglected is because it's perhaps the hardest for us to do. It takes us out of our comfort zone. And whenever we have this desire and this urge that comes up within us because we're going to have those if we're a follower of Jesus to share our faith, we get fearful, we get nervous, we, we feel like we're, we're not... Um, we're not going to be good enough. We're going to do a bad job. Maybe somebody doesn't come to Christ because we just didn't share the gospel effectively. And so we don't share Jesus. And you know what you need to understand is you and I aren't called to give the results. God gives that. The Holy Spirit gives that. You and I are called to share our faith, the hope that is within us because of Jesus Christ. And the Bible makes it plain that the fruit of the life of the righteous is sharing the gospel of Jesus with other people. So I want to challenge you. I, I know that if you're a Christian, you've been in situations and circumstances where you have this urge. You just know, I need to, I need to talk about Jesus. And you leave that place and you don't do it. Let me encourage you to not give in to your fears, but to share Jesus. So, so we as Christians bear fruit. And what Jesus says is it's impossible to bear fruit apart from Christ. He said we don't bear fruit because of our hard work and our effort. The only way that we bear fruit is to be attached to the vine. You see, the, the way that the fruit of the Spirit comes into my life, the way that the fruit of praise comes out of my lips, the way that the fruit of soul winning comes into my life is not because I work hard at it. It's the natural result of abiding with Christ. If I abide with Christ, these are the things that are going to grow out of abiding with Christ. And then Jesus goes on and he says that if we're fruitful, we will be pruned so that we can bear more fruit. Now, if you don't know, being pruned is having pits and pieces cut off so that you can be more healthy. Several years ago, and I, I got to tell you, I'm not a gardener. I don't know much about you know, greenery and things like that. Pastor Scott, man, he, he's got it going. He knows how to do it. But me, man, I can kill any plant you give me. So don't give me a plant because it'll die. I'll feel guilty. But several years ago, I had these plants in my front yard, these trees, and someone said, you've got to prune those because if you don't, they're going to die. They're not going to continue to go and get healthy. And so I said, okay, this person knows what they're talking about. I need to prune this tree. And so with fear and trembling, I went out there and I started cutting off these branches on that tree. And lo and behold, it got fuller and it got taller and it got bigger. Because as I pruned off branches that were sucking life, 
from the tree, it was able to give life to other parts that were going to grow. You see, when God prunes us, he's not doing it to to hurt us. He's not doing it because he doesn't like us. God is pruning us so that we can bear more fruit. I got to tell you, pruning by its very word is not comfortable. You recognize that, right? Pruning is not a comfortable thing, but it's a good thing. But what you need to understand, and I want you to hear me, God didn't save you so that you could live a comfortable life. God didn't save you so that you could live a safe life. God saved you so that you could live a fruitful life. And God is going to take everything out of your life that is going to keep you from being more and more fruitful. Because understand, God didn't create us for the temporal. God created us for the eternal. So he prunes the fruitful branches so that they can produce more fruit. But then notice what else it says. He cuts off the unfruitful branches. Now, what does that mean? I believe it means exactly what it says. If a branch isn't bearing fruit, it's cut off. And it says it's thrown into the fire. I believe that that's a picture of hell. I believe that if a branch isn't bearing fruit, it's evidence of the fact that it's not really attached to the vine. I found something out several years ago that shocked me when it comes to branches and especially vineyards. You can have a branch that has a superficial attachment to the vine. And so the branch looks like it's attached to the vine. There's greenery coming out of the branch. But if you take a knife and you cut the skin of that branch, the branch will fall right off. Because it's not really attached to the vine. There's only skin making that superficial attachment. And so it doesn't really have life coming from the vine sustaining the branch. And I want you to hear me. I'm afraid that that's how a lot of people who are a part of the outward church are today. We have this superficial attachment to the vine. We look like we're a part of the vine. We act like we're a part of the vine, but there's no real fruit. It's not fruit of the Spirit. There's not a fruit of desiring to see other people saved. There's not a fruit of praise that comes from a heart overflowing with gratitude and love for God. And if the fruit isn't coming out, that's evidence that the relationship is superficial. And that's a dangerous thing. And so you need to ask yourself today, am I really attached to the vine? Is there fruit in my life that gives evidence that there's real life flowing from the vine into my life? And the evidence of that is is bearing fruit. So Jesus said, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. The second thing Jesus said is that if you abide in me, you can ask God for big things. Listen to what he said in verse 7. He says, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Now, we like that verse. We love what it says. You can ask for anything you want and it will be granted. And, And unfortunately, we have taken that verse to mean that, you know, we can pray anything we want and God's obligated to give us anything we want. 
The problem is, is that we're focusing on the last part of the verse. You can ask for anything you want and it will be granted while forgetting the first part of the verse. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you can ask for anything you want and it will be granted. It's kind of like in Psalm 37 verse 4. That verse that says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And people say, oh, if I can figure out this, this way that I will delight in the Lord, then I can pray and God's going to give me that Porsche. Or God's going to give me that new house. Or God's going to give me that promotion I've always wanted. And we have this idea that if we can just figure out the formula, then God's going to give us all these carnal, temporal things. But that's not what it's saying. Psalm 37 says, if you delight in the Lord, then he will give you what you want. What you want is the Lord. The Lord's not going to hold himself back from anyone. If our delight is the Lord, he's going to give you the desires of your heart. He's going to give you more and more of himself. If you feel like you don't have enough of Jesus in your life, don't blame Jesus, don't blame the church, blame yourself. Because if you delight in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. And what this is saying is if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then and only then can you ask whatever you will and it will be done. But the key is you need to understand that if you are abiding in him and his word is abiding in you, it's going to change what you ask for. It's going to radically change the way you pray. And your focus isn't going to be on the temporal but the eternal. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with enjoying temporal things. My wife and I went on a trip of a lifetime that was a prize that she earned. And Man, if I could go back tomorrow, I would. I enjoyed it. And, you know, if somebody said, well, you shouldn't go on a trip like that. I said, show me scripturally why I shouldn't. I mean, it was a whole lot of fun. But that's not guiding and directing my life. That's a secondary thing, and to be honest with you, my wife and I use that as an opportunity to share Jesus with people that we would not otherwise know. You see, there's nothing wrong with with enjoying the things of this world, but we need to understand that's not our focus. That's not our desire. Our desire is for something more. And I'm here to tell you, when you abide in Christ and his words abide in you, no longer will you pray self-serving prayers. No longer will you pray self-seeking prayers. No longer will you pray self-satisfying prayers. Your prayer life will change. You'll begin to pray for the nations. You'll begin to pray for God's spirit to work in people's life. You'll begin to pray for kingdom-sized prayers. Because you're praying about things that matter to God, God's going to hear your prayers and God's going to answer those prayers. If we abide in Him, we will bear much fruit. If we abide in Him, we can ask for big things. But third, if we abide in Him, we will be full of joy. Verse 11 says, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Now understand. There's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is a result of what happens. If good things happen to me, to my family, I'm happy. If I'm healthy, I'm happy. If I get a raise, I'm happy. If, if, you know, everybody likes me, I'm happy. But if I get fired, I'm not happy. If 
I get a bad report at the doctor's office, I'm not happy. If y'all don't like me anymore, I'm not happy. Happy is the result of what happens to us, what happens around us, our circumstances. But joy is different. Joy is the result of who is in us. And his life flowing through us. You see, when we know Jesus and we abide in Jesus, his joy flows through us. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us how when Jesus endured the cross, he did that with great joy. How could he endure the cross, the most heinous thing that has ever happened to a human being? How could he endure that with great joy? Because he knew it was temporary. And there was eternity at stake. And he could have faced it with joy. I'm here to tell you, when you abide in Christ, you can have a joy in the midst of the most horrific things that can happen in life. And your joy isn't dependent upon who's in the White House or who's in the State House or what job you have or what neighborhood you live in. Your joy is dependent simply and solely on Jesus And he is the one that sustains your joy. And so you can go through the most horrific times. You can still have joy. But notice, you can have overflowing joy. You know what that means? It means that your joy spills over on the people who are around you and see you. And they go, that isn't normal. That isn't natural. That's not how people are supposed to act in this situation, in this circumstances. Because you have this overflowing joy joy and they're curious and you're able to tell them this is why I have joy because of the hope I have through Jesus Christ you see when we abide with Christ we're going to bear fruit we can ask God for big things but the big things are going to be different than the big things that the world asks for and we're going to be full of joy overflowing joy now my question to you first of all this morning is are you attached to the vine not have you walked an aisle not have you prayed a prayer not have you been dunked in a pool not do you go to church I want to know are you attached to the vine is the life of Jesus flowing into you you see I believe with all my heart we know that We know it. And I believe with all my heart, if you're here today and you're not attached to Jesus, his life is not flowing through you, you haven't been saved, you know that as well. There's something here and there's something here right now just speaking to you, saying, that's me. That's me. I got this superficial attachment. I'm going through the motions, but... Inside, there's just something missing. And dear brother and sister, if that's you, please, please, don't leave this place today without giving your life to Jesus. There's nothing more important. Second, I know a lot of you are attached Christ's life is flowing in you. 
He's made a profound difference in your life. My question is, are you abiding with him day in, day out? Are you seeking him? Are you just basking in his presence, letting his love spill out over you? Or are you striving to please him? And you can't. You can't strive to please him. You are pleasing to him. He loves you. And he wants you to live in his presence. And once you do that, everything else kind of takes care of itself. The fruit will come. The prayers will be answered. The joy will overflow. It's where you at. See, God's word is for us wherever we're at in our journey. So if you're here and you're not attached to Christ, today is the day for you. Don't leave here without making a decision for Christ. And the moment you come, you tell one of our pastors, I need to give my life to Jesus. Don't leave here. Swallow your pride, swallow your fear, swallow whatever's keeping you in that seat, and you come. But second, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're just not abiding like you know you need to abide, and it's evident because of the fruit and because of your prayer life and because of the joy, then today I encourage you to make a commitment to Abide in Christ. He's the vine. You're the branch. If we abide in Him and He's in us, we will bear much fruit. You close your eyes. Pray with me. Father God, this is your time. And I ask you right now to have your way in each and every one of our lives. Lord, I pray that no one will let fear, pride, or anything else keep them from responding to what you want them to do today. And I pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.